It's my great pleasure to introduce uh, this morning's speaker. Um, he was a senior pastor here from 76 to 91. And we've been talking a lot about legacy this spring, this summer. Anyone want to talk about legacy? Let's talk about this morning. Uh, part of his ministry, we have the B Wing now, where we do a lot of adult ministry, which is really cool. We also have the C Wing, which, in my opinion, is a lot cooler because that's where we teach our kids about Jesus. I love this church. I love where we're going, but I also love where we've been. It's legacy. It's all put together. Since then, this man has been busy since 91. He's been the president of a seminary, Phoenix Seminary, down in Arizona. He started a nonprofit called You're Not Alone. He's written several books, hit by a ton of bricks, Uncommon Graces, lots more. The thing that stands out to me, though, is that when you look at his ministry and you look at the legacy that he has set up, one question that always drives him is the how. He has a heart for people who do not know Jesus. He has a heart for the church and how we work together as brothers and sisters in Christ, one body. He has a heart for what happens outside these walls. Real life, real authentic life, how we live. And John, I want to say thank you uh, to you this morning. Come on up. This is John Vodder. Let's welcome him. It's because of guys like you that have gotten into the faith in a messy way and been in people's lives that guys like me believe. So I can think of no better person to speak to us this day, Father's Day, on gentleness than you. John Vodder, thank you. Dear Lord, forgive George for exaggerating. (laughs) And forgive me for enjoying that exaggeration. It's a good thing my mother's not here and still alive. She would believe everything he said. uh, You know, I saw the array of guest speakers while Kevin Meyer's on sabbatical, and I feel a little bit like the farmer a few weeks ago that took his donkey to the Kentucky Derby. And one of the officials said, you don't really expect to win with that thing, do you? And the farmer said, no, but I think the company will do him good. So I'm... I think that um, Kevin Meyer and your staff are almost prophetic in saying while he's gone, you want to think together about being a good neighbor. And I don't know of a, a, a time more crucial to think about being a good neighbor than during this uh, time of political chaos that we're having in our country. Now, I, I don't want this to be a political statement, so let me just say the other day, Uh, there was a Hittite and an Amorite, and they were talking about politics. And and so this Hittite said to me something about his candidate. And I, as the Amorite, said back, well, what you said is true, but I don't really like your candidate for president. And there was just this explosion. Well, that's just the media again, lying about my candidate. And he went on and on and on. He never said, how did you come to that conclusion? Why do you think that? In essence, he said, you've got an IQ of about three to think that. Uh, Well, he's off. It's seven. But anyway, um, I realized that I need to be a good neighbor to this man. How can I influence him? 
period, and how can I influence him for Christ? And I realized that my response to his explosion needed to be a gentle response. And it seemed to me that the best way to be gentle at that moment was to say nothing. So a miracle happened. I actually didn't say anything. I just sat there and decided the best thing to do is to wait till he cools down and then I'll talk to him. So if he's cooled down by the next time I see him, I'll talk to him. So when Kevin Meyer called me and told me about this series, he said, um, I want you to speak on gentleness. And I said, why do you want me to speak on gentleness? And he said, because I think uh, preparing the sermon might do you some good. So I'm... <laughs> Here I am. So here's just a little review of, of where you've been. And if you haven't been here the last seven weeks, how come? Because this has been a great series. Uh, just a brief review of the fruit of the Spirit, because we're looking at the, the, the part of the fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness this morning. And I want to remind you that these are not the fruits of the Spirit. They are the fruit of the Spirit. Fruits is a plural, and fruit is a singular. And so it's one fruit with nine qualities. But I like to look at love, joy, and peace as God-centered fruit, where we stop long enough to say, God, am I a loving, joyful, peaceful person? And then patience, kindness, and goodness are other-centered fruit, because... If we are in right contact with God, then we're treating people with patience, with kindness, and goodness. And then inward-centered fruit is we ask ourselves the question, am I faithful and am I gentle? And next week you're going to look at self-control. Well, in the study for this sermon, I I learned something new, and it relates to uh, Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, and this is how deep this word goes. This is how significant this word gentleness is. One of the few autobiographical sketches the Lord gives of himself, uh, he, he said, I am gentle and humble in heart. I am gentle and humble in heart. It's exactly the same Greek word there as the Greek word for gentleness in the fruit of the Spirit. So when Jesus says, I am gentle and humble of heart, that should catch our attention. And we should be asking ourselves the question, are we gentle and are we humble of heart? As Jesus said it there, the word has three different meanings. And, you, and, it begin, and, and they all relate, uh, they, they are relationship oriented. First of all, uh, if Jesus said, I am gentle. He, he's saying, I'm willing to accept God's dealings <clears throat> as good in my life. Think about Jesus in Gethsemane when he's praying before he's arrested and then crucified for the sins of the world. And he's really struggling. He's sweating drops of blood. In modern day English, he doesn't know his right hand from his left hand because he knows what he's going to face. Jesus was around Jerusalem enough to know that Crucifixions were tough. These soldiers were all guys who had proven themselves on the battlefield. They were awful, mean men. So he knew what he was going to face, and he's struggling with God the Father about that. 
And then he says, but not my will be done, but your will be done. So that's the first part of gentleness is that we accept God's dealings in our lives as good. Uh, That then brings us to having a proper attitude towards ourselves. So even before we think about expressing gentleness to other people, we have to step back long enough to say, am I willing to accept God's dealings in my life as good? And does that give me a proper perspective on myself? Uh, A few weeks ago, Susan and I were at a meeting, a a missionary meeting. A missionary couple were talking about their ministry in Europe. And uh, before the meeting started, there was a food table and and we had gone over by it and I don't drink coffee but I I was standing just a little bit away from the table and Susan was standing right by where the coffee is but turned to talk to someone who knew her when we got to the table or around the table there was no one there and so if if the table's over here I'm standing here talking to someone and I hear somebody it sounded like Hitler he said get out of my way you're in front of the coffee I I thought he was kidding. And I turned around, and he's talking to my wife, who is standing right next to the coffee. And because the theme this morning is gentleness, I thought, how do I hit this guy gently? (laughs) It's all right to hit somebody if you do it gently. While I'm trying to figure out what to say to him that would tell him he's an idiot... Susan said something so kind and gentle, such as, well, let me move aside. I wouldn't want to keep you from your coffee, which is another way of saying you're a complete jerk. <laughs> but, but here's a guy who obviously doesn't have the proper attitude about himself, because anybody between him and his coffee is an enemy, even in a Christian meeting. So so we look at this word gentleness and we realize again, as Jesus said, I am gentle and humble of heart. He's talking about he's willing to accept whatever God gives to him in his life as good. He then has the proper attitude about himself, which allows him then to have the proper attitude towards other people. So we see three relationships in this word gentleness. Our relationship to God, our relationship with ourselves. Is it the proper perspective on ourselves? And the proper relationship then with other people and proper expression to other people. The, the other day I was in Costco and, and I knew exactly what I was going to do. I didn't want anyone interfering with me. I was in the market for a new golf bag and I was walking down an aisle right to check the prices on the golf bags. <clears throat> and I was going to walk out and go to another store to check the, check the prices of golf bags there. If you've ever been to Costco, you know that sometimes they put people in the aisles to sell you things. And I could look down this aisle, and there was a sign that says cosmetics with a young woman about 20 years old. So she's obviously selling cosmetics. I don't need any cosmetics. <laughs> so as I walk by, I look at her, because she's young enough to be my granddaughter, and I say, good morning. And she said, would you like to get rid of that dead, ugly skin on your face. (laughs) I'm not smart enough to make that up. That's not a joke. That's the truth. (laughs) 
and I thought of saying, are you talking about my nose or my ears? And then I went down and looked at the golf bags, and on the way back I thought of saying, young lady, if you think it's bad now, you should have seen me in high school. But I thought, no, just let it go. But see, obviously she said it very, very nicely. Would you, so gently, would you like to get rid of that dead, ugly skin on your face? But in, but in terms of when Jesus said, I am gentle and humble of heart, she didn't say it that way because she didn't think through how it was going to have an effect on me. So it's very important for us to understand what Jesus is saying. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. It's a God awareness. It's a self-awareness. And then an awareness of other people. Interestingly enough, the word gentle was used three different ways in, in the day of the Apostle Paul. It was used as, to describe a cool breeze on a hot day. You understand that. We've already been told, put extra ice in Dad's lemonade this afternoon. You understand that. I understand that living in Arizona. People say, well, what's it like to minister in Arizona? Well, the, the fact is that the winters are so nice, it's hard to interest people in heaven. And the summers are so hot, they're not scared of hell. So it's a real, <laughs> it's a real challenge. The word also was used in Paul's day to describe a soothing medicine on an upset stomach. The word was also used to describe describe a well-trained show horse who would always respond to the commandments of his owner and trainer. So think about that for a moment. The Apostle Paul says, fruit of the Spirit includes gentleness. And people 2,000 years ago, when they heard that word gentle then, would understand it. It was a cool breeze on a hot day. It was a soothing medicine for an upset stomach. Or it was this powerful horse who was under the command of its trainer. And in one sense then, that's what Jesus was doing in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, but not my will be done, but your will be done. At the end of his life, and you can see this in John chapter 17 in what we call the high priestly prayer before he, where he's praying with the disciples before he goes out to be crucified. And he said, Father, I have completed everything that you have given me to do. Somewhere else he says, my food is to do the will of the Father. So then we have to ask ourselves the question as it relates to gentleness, are we thinking about God in our lives? Are we thinking about do we have the proper attitude towards ourselves? And if we do, then we will have the proper attitude towards other people. Now then, it's always important to listen to authority. It's always important to listen to the one who knows more than we do. A few years ago when my mother was still alive and there were, we had a family party at my sister's house and my brother is now retired but he was still a practicing cardiologist in Portland and I was coming up the steps from the basement and I heard my brother say just around the corner, I heard him say to mom, mom, now, now remember he's a cardiologist voted one of the top five cardiologists in Portland at the time. And, and I hear him say, because the room was, no one else is in the room, and I hear him say, Mom, are you taking those pills that I prescribed for your heart? 
And so I stopped so I could hear the answer without interrupting. Mom, are you taking those pills that I prescribed for your heart? No, I'm not. Why aren't you? Because the ladies at the hairdressing salon told me they're bad for me. (laughs) Now, why would you listen to your son, one of the top cardiologists in Portland, if you can go to the hairdressing salon and get the prescription you need for your heart? That makes sense to me, doesn't it? Later on, I was talking to mom, and she said, all doctors are stupid. And I said, what about Michael? And she said, the the jury's out on him too. So why wouldn't you go to the hairdressing salon to find out how to fix your heart? So here's our mom, not willing to listen to the expert in her life. So here's the expert, Jesus. Here's what he says in John chapter 16. He's in the upper room with the disciples before he goes out to be crucified. It is to your advantage that I go away. Unless I go away, the Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. One of the translations of the word spirit there is the word comforter. We've already sung about that truth this morning. So Jesus is saying to the disciples and subsequently to all of us as his followers 2,000 years later, it is to our advantage that Jesus is not here physically because we have the Holy Spirit to empower us to make us the kind of people that he wants us to be and the kind of people deep down that we want to be. But we have to understand then that it's the Holy Spirit working through us. It's the Holy Spirit working in us and building something in our lives that we can't build ourselves. And that's why it's so important for us to look at these two verses. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of us have some of those qualities just by our nature or by our genetic makeup. But the Bible says that we can't be all of those things and have those qualities in our lives and be growing except that we realize that they are spiritual fruit. And we need to be dependent on the Spirit to be building them in our lives. I want you to see just this tiny little video clip. Actually, it's slides that help underline this. So here we are. You've never been called a pipe before, but you can see a pipe there in, in the middle, middle of the picture. And, and that's the spiritual lifeline in our lives. We are the pipe with the Holy Spirit flowing freely through our lives to be building the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now we go ahead. But all of a sudden we allow sin in our lives and the pipe gets smaller because we're now constricting the flowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We add more sin in our lives. There's more unconfessed sin in our lives. We tolerate more sin in our lives. We refuse to admit our wrongdoings to other people. And we constrict the Holy Spirit even more and more. So is it any wonder that oftentimes there is no manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives because we've just quenched him by the tolerance of sin in our lives. Until now, people can hardly tell them the difference between a non-follower of Christ, a non-Christian, and us. 
It's a spiritual lifeline, and we have to decide whether or not we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us. Now, how do we nurture and cultivate the Holy Spirit in our lives? And when I use the words nurture and cultivate, I don't mean that we, we allow him to grow. I just mean, as we would a plant, I just mean how do we allow him <clears throat> to be expressing himself in our lives? First of all, we have to recognize the source of the fruit of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is not of our doing, except that we keep saying to him, I need you to be working in my life. Susan and I, in a few weeks, celebrate 49 years of marriage. She gets the award for patience. And we're going to go out for dinner, as we've done for the last few years. And we have a little exercise we do, and that is that we write down before dinner what we think the other person could do to be a better partner in the next year. So I'll pull out of my pocket a little index card, and she'll pull out of her bag a legal pad. (laughs) And last year she said, you get to go first. And so I wrote, number one, let me interrupt you more. She had written on the legal pad, please don't interrupt me so much. So after 49 years, I'm still working on interrupting. Which means then I have to see that as a weakness and say, Spirit of God, I need you to be working in my life. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with saying I haven't achieved perfection yet? I need the Spirit of God in my life. Secondly, self-evaluation. I don't know how you quantify what Jesus said and say this is more important than this, but I think one of the most profound statements that Jesus made when he was here on the earth is when he said, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck of dust out of your brother's eye. Take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck of dust out of your brother's eye. I don't know this, but I think Jesus was saying that because he understands that it's easier for us to look at the inconsistencies in the life of someone else than to look at our own inconsistencies. Years ago, I read a book by John Haggai. He's now deceased. He was an an evangelist living in Atlanta, ministering out of Atlanta. The title of the book was How to Win Over Worry. And in the book, Haggai said, if I can spend more time thinking about the inconsistencies in the lives of other people, I will have less time to think about the inconsistencies in my own life. Well, that's the log and the speck principle then, isn't it? So part of this willingness to nurture and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in my life is self-evaluation. To ask myself the question, am I living out the fruit of the Spirit or am I finding, as what happened the other day in this, this conversation about the Hittites and the Amorites and the present election going on, this guy was so upset he didn't understand that I just grew quiet because of his explosion. The reality is he has very little self-awareness. Thirdly, Blind spots. 
We all have them. A friend of mine says, everyone sees our blind spots but us. And and, and this leads me to the fourth point. This is why we need other people in our lives. We need the evaluation of other people in our lives. And to be willing to listen to them when when they're trying to make some mid-course correction in our lives for them. For, for when they're trying to make a mid-course correction in our lives. And if you want to have some fun next week after the ninth part of the fruit of the Spirit is taught, get together with a good friend and say, how am I doing in these nine qualities of the fruit of the Spirit? And when, when they tell you you're flunking two of them, don't kick at them. Welcome them as a guest. Near where we live, uh, there, there's, I guess he's a dentist or she's a dentist because the sign on the building says, Gentle Dentistry. And Susan grew up uh, the daughter of an oral surgeon in Long Beach, and so I always ask her dental questions. I said, Darlene, what does that mean? And she said, well, I guess the dentist doesn't hurt people. Well, I wonder how good he or she is then if they don't hurt the patient once in a while. We all expect the doctor to hurt us once in a while. So that's why I would ask you, how am I doing in the fruit of the Spirit? You would ask me, how am I doing in the fruit of the Spirit? And finally, no excuses. We can't make excuses. There was a study done some years ago on identical twins, and, and they had them in separate rooms. And these two I heard about were identical twin women. And they asked this woman, do you drink alcohol? And she said, are you kidding? Growing up with an alcoholic father, I wouldn't risk becoming an alcoholic. I don't take a drink. They go over to this other room where her identical twin sister is sitting, who's an alcoholic. And the question is asked, Why are you an alcoholic? Are you kidding? I didn't have a prayer growing up with an alcoholic father. Isn't that interesting? One grew up with an alcoholic father and said, I don't want to become that. The other one grew up and said, I didn't have to stand a chance. I have a friend from high school. He's just celebrating 29 years of sobriety. And I'm so proud of him to think, think of that. And he, he helps a lot of people. And uh, a year or so ago, I <clears throat> introduced him to another friend. And I said, this is my friend, Ron Lappy. I'm so proud of him. He's got 28 years of sobriety. And he, he, he speaks for Alcoholics Anonymous. And he helps a lot of people. And he sponsors a lot of people. And so I introduced my friends. And we did whatever we were going to do. And later, Ron and I were alone. And he said, uh, John, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, I know. And he said, "Uh, John, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, I know, I know. He said, it's anonymous. And I said, I know, Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) He said, John, it's anonymous. And I said, "Uh, I know you're telling me something. I I just don't know what you're telling me. (laughs) He said, John, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. We, We don't name people. And I said, well, I'm not in AA, so I can, I, I can break the rule if I want to. I didn't say that, but I should have. So let me just say, I, I have a friend 
but he, he's in a group that I can't name. Okay, it's a, it's an anonymous group. And so there, there's this group of people who are recovering alcoholics, but I can't name the group. And I can't name anybody that's in the group. But somebody told me that one night at a meeting, they broke into small groups. And this unnamed person said in their group, there were people from the streets. There were people there with great wealth. There were people there who had had wealth but drank it all away. And then they put their hand on their chest like this and said, they're middle class people like me. And they, they agreed that socially and economically there was, a, there was a lot of divergence in the group that night. Now, don't miss this. But they agreed the common denominator in the group that night was until they quit making excuses and blaming other people, they didn't go get the help they needed. So part of this principle of the fruit of the Spirit is we make no excuses. We don't blame our mothers. We don't blame the toilet training we had. We don't blame some boss who fired us. Rather, we come back to say, Jesus Christ in the upper room said it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit. And here's the Apostle Paul saying the fruit of the Spirit is. Now think with me, and this is my final point. The other day I went to... uh, Verizon store because I dropped my iPhone and cracked the cover. But I have a lifetime guarantee on the cover, so if I drop it for the second time, I can go back to Verizon and they'll give me a new one. So I went in and said, I have this program and I dropped my phone and I need a new cover. And so he looked up and he said, yeah, you've got that lifetime protection plan. And he went in and looked in the shelf and he came back and said, I'm sorry, sir, we're all out of those. But we have to order some. What's your name? What's your phone number? I'll call you. And you can come back in a few days and get a new cover. Would it disturb you if I said I didn't believe him? So I went back five days later. Same guy working in the store. And after he helped the woman in front of me, he said, "Uh, what can I do for you? And I said, well, I have a lifetime guarantee on my phone cover, and I dropped it, and I broke it. And he said, oh, yeah, I remember you. He said, let me check. Now, remember, this is a number of days after he said he would call me. Let me check. And he goes over, picks the last one off the wall. He said, you're a lucky man. We have the last one. You get the last one. So they had ordered more, and they had sold all of them except for this one. Well, I didn't expect him to call me. That's why I went in. I just didn't believe that he was really going to keep my phone number. And I'm not criticizing Verizon this morning, but all of you understand that. All of you have gone back somewhere because you didn't believe the salesperson. But the Apostle Paul said, the fruit of the Spirit is. We believe That God, the Holy Spirit, breathed, inspired the Bible. So in one sense, as Paul is writing, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the Holy Spirit writing that. And even though we don't necessarily trust the salesperson at the telephone store, we trust the Holy Spirit to deliver on what he said. 
And he said if we will humble ourselves before him and admit to him that the fruit of the Spirit in some area or some areas is lacking in our life, he will continue to build the Christ-like qualities of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for accepting us as we are, as sinful, but then not being pleased with where we are, and so sending the Holy Spirit to build the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, and I pray for myself, that you would keep working in our lives, pointing out where we live inconsistently with the fruit of the Spirit, and giving us the courage to say, Spirit of God, here's another area where I need you to be working in my life. And I pray this in a sense of dependence on you. And I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.